Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be at today. And uh, I'd love for you to stand if you want to while I read the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6. I think I'm going to start in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you as darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, we ask for uh, the clarity that only the Holy Spirit can bring as we look at this text. We pray, Father, that you would just pull back the curtains of our mind and show us clearly your, your goodness, your, your glory, uh, the greatness of your name. Father, we pray that you would reveal to us what a good father you are. God, I pray that we might invest this life that you've given to us, that we might invest it in things that matter and things that will last and things that will magnify our joy into all eternity. Father, we pray for the teaching of your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the things that I really would love for you to, uh, to come away with today is just realizing in your hearts what a good Father that we have. Um, our Heavenly Father is, is generous and benevolent in ways that we cannot imagine. Uh, if you're here today and you know the gospel, I think you already know that to some degree, right? Uh, you realize that we were his enemies. You realize that every one of us has ignored him. We've all disobeyed him. We've all not believed, not trusted him. Uh, we were his enemies. And God sent his own son, Jesus, to become the perfect man, to live the perfect life, and then to die a death on our behalf that by faith and repentance we might, we might be joined into his family. So God is a father who has welcomed us orphans into his own family. But would you, would you see, would you broaden your mind to see that God is generous even beyond that? Okay, The entire Bible just is layered with the generosity and the grace of our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about my own dad is how he is always looking out for me. He's always looking out for me, and he's always steering me away from bad decisions and bad investments, and he's always pulling me in to good decisions and good investments. I, I've told the story many times here. It's, it's kind of a legend in our family of uh, when him and I were in college, living in government-subsidized housing, having our first baby, uh, working part-time jobs, and that vacuum cleaner salesman came by, and, man, he did the greatest presentation I've ever seen 
And he had us convinced that if we did not buy the $1,200 super sucker, that our baby would probably die, you know? Our baby would choke on a dirt lint and be gone, you know? And, man, so I am, I am calling my dad, trying to gather the money to buy this thing so that we, our baby will be okay and be able to play on the floor. And my dad ever so gently basically said, son, you're really poor, and that's a dumb decision, you know? You, I'll give you, I'll send 30 bucks, and you go to Walmart and buy whatever they got, all right? And uh, he's just been good that way. Many of you guys that uh, the other two services probably didn't remember this. Some of you in this service will remember. Uh, when we came here, you'll remember uh, the, what we called the big Chevy. Um, when, when we were, uh, had our second child, Addie, I was in seminary, and we had a little Dodge uh, Shadow, Dodge Shadow, two-door. And we got both car seats in the back when we brought the baby home, and we realized that it would work. But we had to drive like this, you know, with the seat all the way up, you know. And we were, I was pastoring a church two hours outside of Kansas City that we drove back and forth to uh, while I was in seminary. Emma couldn't get in the back seat. She wouldn't fit in the back seat to take care of the babies while we're in that two-hour drive. And so, again, I'm trying to figure out, man, God, we, we, we need a different solution here. And so I call my dad, and I'm talking about, you know, getting a loan and a car payment. And he's like, hold on, son, hold on. He said, let's, let's see. You know, again, that's, that's just the way he is like he's always like son I think that might be bad for you while you're in seminary you know let's see if we can't find something else he called me back in like two days he said son I found an old police car they're retiring you know it's been our hometown here for like 15 years he said they drove it back and forth from the quick stop it's probably never been in a high speed chase you know and it's got 60,000 miles on it now if you're in the Dirks family a car with 60,000 miles on it what you do when you get in you're like you smell that new car smell huh Isn't that great? Like, that's brand new, you know, that's brand new. $2,400, you know, is all that car, and it cost us, and it was at 60,000 miles on it. Man, it was a great car. Many of you remember, we we drove that thing till the muffler came off on uh, Oklahoma Avenue. That's when we finally got rid of it, you know. Uh, But man, my dad has been that kind of guy to us, you know. He's a guy that's always leveraging, trying trying to get us into a good spot, all right, God is doing that all through the Bible, okay? So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we're not there yet, but if we were in Matthew 7, I kind of wish we were for Father's Day, but in Matthew 7, at the end of it, starting in verse 7 through like 11, 12, God says, you know, you know, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to His children? You know, and, and that's layered all through the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, just remember the last couple of sermons. Okay, last couple of sermons we talked about in chapter six, verses one through four, about giving. Remember that we talked about giving. And you remember what Jesus taught us there? He said, "Don't go for the small reward." You know, a lot of people, when they give, the the reward they're wanting is for so-and-so to see them, you know? Hey, did you see what I did? You know, so so that that someone will pat them on the back and be like, hey, man, you're really generous, really appreciate you. And, And Jesus is like, man, your heavenly Father has so much better for you. That's a small reward. Don't go for the small reward, son. Go for the big one, right? And in verse 4 of chapter 6, he said, said, give, you know, just for your father so that your giving may be seen in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says the same thing about prayer. And he talks about, hey, when you pray, don't pray aiming at people hearing you. Pray aiming at your Father because he'll reward you, right? So the whole Sermon on the Mount is is calling us to, to, to get the reward of the Father, that God has better things for us, okay? And then, hey, we didn't look at it yet. We'll probably look at it in, in Matthew 9, but this passage on fasting, right before the one that we just read, 
Um, verse 18 says, man, when you fast, don't, don't look all gloomy, you know, don't walk around in tattered clothes saying, I'm not eating today, you know, I'm starving, you know, don't, don't, don't try to build martyr points with people so that they're like, oh man, that guy, he really sacrificed. No, he says, don't do that. When you fast, fast for God, because God will reward you. And, and think about what fasting is. Really what fasting is, is, is when you intensely long for some good thing from God. And right on the heels of that, I think that's the context there. Right on the heels of that, Jesus says this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, okay? So now our our father's doing that dad thing. He's like, son, don't build your treasures on earth, okay? Don't, Don't build up treasures here. Why? Because it's a bad investment. God's trying to move our aim away from small and tiny and insignificant fleeting treasure to glorious, eternal, fully satisfying treasure. All right? So, so in this passage, our Father's going to talk to us about treasure. Okay? He's going to talk to us about what are you investing your life in. And He's such a good Father that He doesn't want you to invest your life in something that isn't going to pay. That isn't going to be a good reward. All right? So, so let's begin by, by just asking ourselves this question. We really can't go any further until you answer this in your heart. What's your treasure? Okay? What, what, is, it, what is it that you treasure? And, and the reason that's really important is because when you follow this text through this passage, it's going to be real clear, Jesus' outline here. Whatever you treasure, that has your heart. And whatever has your heart, you're going to end up serving. Okay? So whatever you treasure, it gets your heart. And whatever has your heart, you're going to serve. You're going to live for that thing. Whether you even know you're doing it, you're going to. Okay? And so, so, so here's the crucial question on us today. What is it that I treasure? Well, how do you know that? Well, maybe ask yourself uh, what Jesus does here in verse 19. He says, what are you laying up? Okay? So verse, verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. So what are you accumulating? You know, what What are you stockpiling? What are you trying to get more of? So, so this week as you live your life, last week as you lived your life, what, what were you trying to get more of? You know, what, what was your goal? What, what were you trying to build? What were you trying to protect? What were you trying to ensure for the future? What were you trying to find happiness in? What was it that you thought, you know, if I just had this, I, I'd be more happy. If I had more of this, what is that? You, you know what's tough is that that's a hard question to answer honestly, right? Because we're all, we're all I, well, not we're all, many of us in this room, let's say that, are born-again believers. And, and so you automatically, when you're asked, what is your treasure? What's the same school answer? God. God is my treasure, right? But, you know, if you look back at your last week and, and you didn't try to get more of God, you, you weren't desperate in the scriptures to know him more. You, you weren't on your knees in prayer seeking to get more of him. You weren't taking steps of, of faith to be more obedient, to get your life in line with him. Then honestly, that wasn't your treasure. You know, I mean, I, like I know, I know we know the right answer, but, but the question on the table is, what are you treasuring? Like, what are you laying up? What are you building? What are you accumulating? What are you striving for? And that's a, that's a harder question to answer Honestly, what, what is it that is actually your functional treasure? Is it your family? Is it a certain idea you have for your family? Is it a certain position to get into financially? Is it a, is it a certain comfort level in your life? I mean, what is it you're trying to get more of? For a lot of Americans, it's simply that. It's comfort. 
Like, like, like everything is leveraging to try, to try to move things out of our life that cause discomfort, that cause us stress or anxiety or pain, and, and try to get a life that's just comfortable, a life that we can have an ease in. For a lot of people, it's money. For a lot of people, it's this standard living. For a lot of people, it's, it's recreation or toys or tra- whatever. That, what, what's your treasure? What is it you're trying to get more of? Now, Jesus comes in again as, as, a, as a good father, our heavenly father speaking to us here. And, and, and he's saying, children, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, now why? He, he's saying, if, 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 if you answer that question, this is my treasure. And if the answer to that question is confined to this world, it's a bad investment. It's a Ponzi scheme. You know, like it, it's just, it may look good now, but it's just waiting to collapse. It, it cannot hold up the weight of your life. At, at some point, it, it, it's going to collapse. And, and so Jesus says this. He says, don't let for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? He says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Those were the, those were the, the, the top things that would, would destroy whatever you were accumulating in Jesus' day. Many, many times people had their wealth in their clothes. That sounds maybe kind of funny to us. But, the, but that, that was one way to accumulate wealth in Jesus' day was, was clothing. And, and moth would destroy that. Or grain. You know, and, and, and insects or, or vermin or predators would, 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 would destroy that. They would take that. Or thieves would actually dig into your house and take what was yours. And so Jesus is saying, don't lay up treasures that are confined to this earth. You know why? Because, number one, they're temporary. They won't last. You'll ultimately lose them. And I think we all know that, right? Homes, cars, toys, land, businesses. How about this? What if your treasure is your own beauty? or your body, or fitness, or physical strength, or the recognition and popularity of other people, or position, or power, or influence, or control. If those are the things you're storing up, it's my sad duty to tell you this morning, you will lose them. You'll lose them. Like that, you can't keep them. You know, you, you may be incredibly attractive, you may be incredibly strong, you may be incredibly popular, you may have position, you may have wealth, all of that you will lose. It's just how long you'll have it, I don't know, I'm not sure, but you're going to lose it. And I'm not even talking about death, like you most likely will lose it before death. But not only is it temporary, but it will decay and it will fade. In 1 John John tells us something about the world. First of all, he says, don't love the world or the things in the world. He says, the love of the Father is, is not in the world. He said, don't, don't, don't love the, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, from the world. And in verse 17, he says this, the world is passing away along with its desires. And whoever does the will of God abides forever. He says, the world is passing away. In other words, everything in this world is decaying. It's, it's going from better to worse. It doesn't run as well. It's not new anymore. It scratches. It gets a spot. It breaks out. It's obvious, isn't it, that everything is decaying because we keep buying new stuff, right? I, I bet if we had a little show of hands, how many of you had an appliance go on the fritz this week? Anybody, anybody else besides me? We had a little mini flood yesterday, a little Noah on the ark, you know? Yeah, we had that yesterday, and you know, we tried to wash some clothes, and we ended up washing the house, you know? So, yeah, like that happens, right? It dem- everything breaks. It diminishes in its ability to deliver the satisfaction that it once did. But not only does it decay and break and something that was, at one time we were really excited about it, now we're cursing it and kicking it, right? But not only that, but, but everything fades. 
we get tired of it. We lose interest. It loses its ability to satisfy us. You know, you've got a few people that, that are like lifelong hobbyers, you know? You may have a guy that he started fishing when he was five with his grandpa, and when he's 100 years old, he's still, that's still his, his jam, you know, is fishing. But you, you know the much more common thing is the, is the person that goes from thing to thing to thing. You, you ever seen those people, you know? Like, like they, they'll get really into something, and for 12 and a half weeks, they're all into it, right? They buy everything they can buy online for that thing, and they learn all about it, and they practice, you know? And then pretty soon, they go to the next thing, you know? I mean, I've, got a, I've got a buddy that is this to the, and I'm always asking, well, hey, how's, you know, whatever you're into, mountain biking or motorcycling or classic cars or whatever? And he's like, well, I don't do much of that anymore, but now I'm into shooting, you know, I mean, it's like the next thing. Why? Why is that? You know why? Because it all fades. It can't satisfy our soul. It, it all diminishes. Why? Because it is things of this earth. The things of this world cannot satisfy your soul. They'll never succeed. And ultimately, they'll be gone. Jesus said, don't let for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And then he said, where thieves break in and steal. You, you know the, the truth about living in a sinful world? Whatever your treasure is, it's likely to be taken by somebody. Man, I, there are a lot of bitter people in our town. I, I know this because I've met them, I've counseled them. A lot of bitter people. And they are bitter. You know why? Because they had something valuable. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a, a family structure. Maybe, maybe it was a, an investment. Maybe it was a business. Maybe it was a position. But they had something. And you know what? Somebody sinfully ruined it. They ruined it through divorce or they ruined it through through a, 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 a squandering or they, they ruined it through through taking it or through abusing it. And that's what, that's what sinful people in a sinful world do. Thieves break in and steal. We finished up our, our teen kids semester in May and we, uh, uh, we take the boys out and do fishing and mountain biking and stuff like that out at the pond. And, and uh, I had some worms left over. Uh, from our fishing and Karen gets irritated when I leave him in the fridge so I got him out of there and I took him home to my, my little boy because he likes all critters you know and man he he took those worms and he, he played with them for days you know he'd put them in a basket and he put them in a bucket and he put them here put them there he put more dirt in you know I mean you know I don't know how they live but they, they were still living you know and then I was out watering the front yard I was watering the flowers and stuff and I had my hose running and now I was doing a little trimming and I had my hose just kind of it was just filling up you know a spot on the grass it was you know pooling up and he takes his worms and he throws them in the water and he thinks oh, that's really cool because then they kind of go in the water you know he likes to catch and release aspect of it he likes to release them and then catch them release them and catch them but you know here's the thing about toddlers especially three-year-olds three-year-old boys in particular short attention span right so he's got his worms in the water and then something caught his eye you know he's off doing something else and i'm over there trimming and i look and we've got a family of robins that lived in a, um, a little nest in the front of our house in our ivy that I, and, and man they're like smorgasbord buffet, you know? And they're over there just there going to town. I was like, hey, buddy, the birds are getting your worms. Ah, oh, crushed. I mean, you know, not, not, only, not only the loss of the worms, but he felt betrayed. Like those birds, you know, he actually 
we eventually took the nest down. Like, he's out on birds now. Like, they're, they're no good. They take your treasure, you know? Uh, he asked me this, this sad face, you know, after they flew away with his worms, and we had a couple scraps and remnants left. He, he said, Dad, are we going to get them back, you know? I said, son, they won't let us do that in the city limits, you know? We, there's no way for us to get those worms back from those robins. They're just gone. And a lot of you, you have things in your life that you have treasured, and that's exactly what happened. Somebody took them. Somebody just absolutely took them. Well, Jesus says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. All right? Now, what should we do instead? Well, look, look here at the passage, Matthew 6. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, what kind of things will continue beyond this world? Okay, so, so he's saying, invest your life, accumulate, get more of, put your hope and joy and satisfaction in things that are not confined to this world. All right, so, so my question to you is, what kind of things continue beyond this world? Now, Let's, let's talk categories, first of all, because I really had the wrong view of this passage, all right? So when I first became a Christian and I read this passage, you, you know what, you know the way I read it, and maybe this is silly, I don't know, I just read it this way, but, but as I've read my Bible, I've seen it's not true. The way I read this passage was, some people have their joy now, you know, and they invest their joy in the things of the earth, so I kind of thought of it as either get your joy now or kind of be religious and unhappy and just gut it out and just wait through this life and then get your joy later in heaven, you know? So I, I, I know it's wrong. I, I just, I thought of it as you either get your joy now or you get your joy later, you know? Things of earth, things of heaven. That's wrong. That, that's, that's a total misinterpretation of that passage. Here's the categories I would think of now. I would think of it now as you can either have diminishing, fading, decaying, perishing joy now and nothing in eternity or you can have increasing okay so things of heaven i think of them as increasing fulfilling magnifying eternal joy starting now continuing into heaven do you, do you see the difference between those two like i actually think to invest in the things of earth actually brings joy now like, like, it's not like, okay, I got to, you know, gut it out, you know, and have no joy now. And then, man, you read your Bible and open up the book of Philippians. Here you got the Apostle Paul who's chained to a Roman soldier awaiting execution. And all the guy can talk about is how happy he is in God, right? So, so it, it's, it's not joy now or joy later. It is diminishing, fading, perishing joy now or increasing, fulfilling, magnifying eternal joy from now forevermore, all right? So those are things of earth, things of heaven. Now, what kind of investments are eternal? So what kind of investments bring this joy now that magnifies into eternity? All right? We're going to look at a whole bunch of Bible passages. So if you have your Bible, get ready to go here, okay? So I'm going to give you a bunch of examples. 1 Corinthians 3 is the one we're going to start with. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about building up the church, building up the body of Christ, okay? It's talking about investing in people, in the gospel, and here's what Paul says, First uh, Corinthians three ten. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Okay, he's not talking about you know two befores and and red iron. He's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritually. Okay, he's building up people in Christ. 
says, let each one of you take care how he builds upon it. Okay, so Paul says, I laid the foundation of the gospel. Now you guys are building upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What, what is the foundation of, of our church? It's Jesus Christ, right? Like every one of you who's a believer, how'd you get to be a believer? Jesus Christ, right? You put your faith in Jesus. You turn away from your sin. You're joined to Jesus, okay? That's the foundation. But now we're building upon that, right? right? Like you're praying for me. I'm praying for you. We're speaking the word of God to each other. We're caring for each other. We're ministering to each other, right? Okay, we're building on that foundation, all right? And here's what Paul says about that. Verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, air, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's judgment day, will disclose it, but it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul says the things you do for Jesus to build up his church, those things will last for eternity, okay? They'll have an immediate joy in doing them in the fellowship of Jesus' work, but then they'll have an eternal investment later, all right? Now, some of you are like, man, that was a hard passage, Pastor. All right, let me give you an easy one, okay? So I tried to kind of mix these hard, easy, hard, easy, okay? This is a super clear one, 1 Timothy 6, okay? 1 Timothy 6, I like this one. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age. Now, what do we immediately do? Well, that's not me, right? Hey, listen, I'm about to go to India, and I'll take some pictures. It is you, okay? It is you, all right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, here's where it talks about how to invest in eternal things. Are you ready? Verse 18, they are to do good. There it is. Do good. Be rich in good works. So do a bunch of good works. Have a bunch of good works. Be generous with what you have. So be generous. Be ready to share. Ready to share it. And look at this. Thus storing up treasure. You see that? Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And then, man, this is the the line I love. That they may take hold of of that which is truly life. You see that? That we might take hold. Paul is telling you how to get true life. How to take hold what is truly life. So we we store up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future, and then we take hold of that which is truly life. Okay? So what have we seen so far? Investing in God's people, investing in the church, doing good works, being generous, being ready to share. All of those, when done for God, are ways that we build up an eternal reward, a joy that is magnifying and growing into eternity. Okay, Here's another one, Luke 12. Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that last verse, that connects it with the passage we're in, right? So he's talking about the same thing here. And what does he say? He says, how do, how do you get treasure in heaven? How do, how do you build this, this joy that, that continues on? Well, you, you, you take what you have and, and, and you, you, you use it to meet the needs of others. And when you take what you have and use it to meet the needs of others, you magnify your joy all the way into eternity, Okay. Now, I know some of you are going to struggle over sell what you have, so we'll talk about that in just a second. Can you just hold on to that for a second? Okay? Don't leave because you're like, ah, 
Sell what you have. That's ridiculous. Okay, no, hold on, hold on. I'll talk more about it in just a second. Okay, let's keep going, though. Hebrews 11, okay? Here's Moses. Moses is a great example of a guy who said, I want the, the true wealth. I want the wealth that God has. I want the bigger reward, okay? So Moses is growing up in the palace of Egypt, okay? So richest nation in the world, most powerful nation in the world, Moses is in the palace, all right? So picture whoever you have in your mind as the most powerful person in the world, okay? That's where Moses is at, okay? So verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. The people of God at this time were slaves, so, so Moses leaves the palace, he joins the slaves, okay, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was doing what? What was, what was Moses doing? Looking for the reward. He's looking for it, right? Moses leaves the palace and joins the slaves. Why? Because he wants a bigger reward. You see, you had a whole bunch of people in Egypt at that time trying to get in the palace. Why were they trying to get in the palace? Because most of the world is convinced that's where the life is, right? Right? We look at the rich people on TV and say, I want to be just like them. Do we really? Have you seen them? Huh? But that's, that's what everybody thinks about more, right? But Moses going the other way. He said, I want the true wealth. All right, let's keep going. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, so for now, for a little while, you've been grieved by various trials. Okay, so one of the things, one of the ways that we build eternal wealth is, is right here with trials. Verse 7, so the tested genuineness of your faith. So when you, when you endure the test of trials in your faith, it says it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, and it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's switch over to, to 1 Peter 5. So if you're a pastor in here, if you are a small group leader in here, if you're a Bible study leader in here, here's some great encouragement for you, okay? 1 Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the un fading crown of glory. What, what, what happens when you shepherd people well? What happens when you've got a group of people that you're taking care of spiritually? You're checking in on them. You're, you're sending them encouraging texts. You're, you're teaching them the word of God. You're praying for them. You're helping them take steps of obedience. You know what, the, you know what the Peter just said there? He said, when the chief shepherd comes, he'll give you the unfading crown of glory. What's unfading mean? It never diminishes. It only gets better. All right? One more. Luke 16. I saved this one for last because it's the most confusing and it's my favorite, okay? So Luke 16 is the parable of the dishonest manager. Now, the reason this thing is confusing is because a lot of people, when they read parables, they think, okay, the Bible's telling me I'm supposed to be like this. Not always, not always. In other words, this guy's kind of a crook, okay? But did you know that crooks can be smart? in certain ways, okay? And so this crook is pretty smart, and the Bible's saying, hey, you ought to apply his smartness to your kingdom living, okay? And so he, I'll just tell you the story. Here's what happens. He's a manager, okay? So some other guy owns the business, and this guy's just managing it. He's doing a terrible job. He's embezzling the money. He's, he's, he's dishonest with it. He, he's ruining the guy's business. And so the guy finds out, and he says, all right, tomorrow you're fired. Like, like tomorrow's your last day at work. 
All right, now the guy goes home and he's despairing. He's like, I'm going to lose my job. And, and I'm too proud to beg, and I'm not strong enough to dig. That's exactly what he says. So what am I going to do? And then a thought hits his idea, his, it hits his mind. He's like, you know what? I got one day left. I got one day left. How could I use that day to secure my future? So you know what he does? He calls in the creditors, the people that owe his boss money. So they come in. He's like, hey, you know, come, come on in. I got a deal for you. The guy comes in. He's like, well, how much do you owe my, my master? Well, I owe him 10000 bucks. He's like, man, I've always liked you. You know how you put on the smooge, you know. I've always liked you. You're, you're, you know, me and you, we've always kind of had a thing, haven't we, you know? You know, we played golf that one day. That was really fun, wasn't it, you know? And we went out to eat that one time. That was really great. I, 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 you know what? I'm going to give you a deal, half price today. You know what? Pay 5000 We cross off the other 5000 The guy's like, I mean, is that a good deal or what, right? Yeah? The guy's like, wow, you are a great guy, right? He does that all day long. Now, if you own a business in here, you're saying, why are you teaching this at church, right? Like, like this is a terrible thing to do to somebody. And it is. But, but listen, listen to the application. Verse 8 of Luke 16. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. That's what that's called, shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. That's, that's kind of a confusing verse, isn't it? But let, let me explain what I, what I believe it means. What it means is, you got one short life to live, okay? And when you invest in people in the kingdom, when you invest, you know, you know what I hope happens? I hope when we get to heaven, there's a bunch of Indian Christians who walk up and say, you're the one that gave that water well. My family came and drank there. We read the plaque. We met the pastor. We got saved. We're here. And guess what? Because of the way we live our lives, we're loaded. Come to our mansion, right? I mean, that, that's, that's literally what that says. That, that says we, and we invest in people. That has this benefit that extends into the billion years of eternity. You're like, Pastor, are you stretching this? Nope. I'll prove it. Let's keep reading in this passage. Teresa, let's keep going in Luke 16. I want to show everybody that this, this, this is what Jesus is talking about. Verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've been, not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. It's the exact same passage we were just in in, Mark, in Matthew 6. For either he'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God in money. That's exactly what. Matthew chapter 6 said, our passage, right? These are parallel passages. Luke is explaining to us how to make e eternal investments, right? So, so these kind of investments where we invest in people, where we invest in the gospel, where we invest in, in, in giving to those in need, where we invest in, in meeting spiritual needs and shepherding people and taking care of people in the Lord, those investments, they bring a joy now that only grows and magnifies into eternity and has benefits that we can't even imagine. Now, let's go back to the struggle you were having just a minute ago when we read Luke 12 and it says, sell your possessions. I know some of you are practical people, right? And what were you thinking when, I, when, when that verse says, sell your possessions, give to the needy so you'll have money bags that never grow old? You were thinking, oh, 
that can't be literal, right? Because if we all did that, we'd all have no money. We'd all be needy, right? We'd come back next week. we have to close this thing down. I mean, surely Jesus doesn't want that, right? right? Don't, don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying, okay? So Jesus talked, what's the topic? How do I build eternal wealth? How do I build eternal joy? How do I, how do I magnify my life so I treasure up things that will have a value all the way into eternity? How do I do that? Well, one of the ways you do that is you take what you have now and you leverage it for the kingdom. Now, sometimes that means selling it. Sometimes it does. So let's say you have $50,000. I'm just saying that because isn't it nice to dream, huh? huh? Isn't it nice just to kind of, if you're going to imagine, let's imagine, right? Let's say you have $50,000, right? Well, you could, you could take that money. You could invest in water wells in India, and you could invest in palettas in Guatemala, and you could invest in, in the gospel in Thailand or the Thai church, and you could, you could build, invest in our homeless shelter right down the street to house homeless people, and, and you could invest in a, maybe a, a young people's Bible study where you meet every Monday and buy them breakfast, and you go through the, the book of Mark with them, and you, you could do all kinds of kingdom investments, right, that would magnify your joy all the way into eternity. That's a great option. You could also take that 50000 and maybe start a business. I probably won't do this because I'm probably not very good at this, but you could start a business maybe. And in that business, you could hire some strategic people that you're going to gospel to Jesus. And you're going to have a Bible study every Monday in that business. And if that business succeeds, maybe that business grows to the point where it makes 50000 a year. And then with that 50000 a year, you can do all the stuff we just talked about, right? You see, there's, there's different... What, he's not saying, he's not giving this one option. All right, everybody got to sell it. No, no, no. He's just, he's saying, use what you have for kingdom purposes. Use what you have here, unrighteous wealth, to build eternal wealth. So whatever you have, use it. Do you have a house? Use it. Use it to build eternal wealth. Use it as hospitality. Use it to make disciples. Use it to raise up kids who will go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Use what you have. My parents, I've told you this before, we, we grew up in a farmhouse. My mom hated it. Uh, toilet didn't flush real great. Boys and I had to snake it out if we had company. Uh, really small. Uh, when they sold the Colorado ground, my dad bought my mom a house, or he you know, mortgaged it, but he, but, he, but he got our house in town, nice house, you know, um, brick home, big house. They have used it. They've used it. My mom hosts Bible studies there. Every baby shower they have in their church, she'll have at her house. They've hosted missionaries. They have people staying with them all the time. I, I think Jesus is pleased with that. Like, you take what you have and use it. Use it for kingdom purposes, right? And here's where it really doesn't matter what you have. You're like, well, I don't have a house. Great, do you have an apartment? Well, I don't have an apartment. Great, do you have a tent? Hey, camp, campground ministry. There you go, right? Like, whatever you got, I mean, Jesus doesn't expect you to use things you don't have, right? But whatever you have, leverage that. Instead of accumulating and thinking that's your treasure, no, use that to build real treasure. That's what he's saying. Now, Jesus really ratchets up the seriousness of this in verse 21 where he tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you're accumulating, it's got your heart. You're saying, no, 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 not me. I'm, 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 I'm accumulating money and I'm accumulating possessions. I'm accumulating a position in my company. But really, really, my heart is Jesus's. Not practically, right? Because if, if, your, if your treasure's over here, 
Your treasure is going to get your time. Your treasure is going to get your attention. Your, your treasure is going to get all that stuff. Your priorities. And, and here's the thing. Your treasure tells you where your heart is. And your heart causes you to see the world a certain way. All right, now this may be new for you. Okay, so hold on to this. You're not too sleepy for this, are you? I'm taking my time next week. Okay, so I won't be here next Sunday, so I'm taking that time too, right? So think, think about this. Look, look, at verse, look at verse 22. Have you ever thought, why is this here? Right? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body's full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body's full of darkness. If then the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So he's, he's not talking about eyes and bodies. He's using an illustration here, right? He's saying if your eye is good, right, if you've got good vision, then you're seeing everything clearly. And it's coming into you and you're seeing it clearly. If your eye is bad, you're not seeing anything clearly. Okay, if you have the wrong treasure, you don't see your life rightly. This is what really messes things up. People think I'm going to live for Jesus, but if your treasure is something else, you won't value the things of God. Every time you'll value the wrong thing, you, you will misvalue the things in your life. How devastating would it be physically if, if something in your brain broke and you didn't have the capacity to rightly value things anymore? You see how devastating that would be? You, it would be possible for you to go into Walmart, walk by one of those side aisles, and see the, the cans of whipped cream, and they're on sale for $4,999. And you're like, that's a great deal! Right? I love whipped cream. I mean, you can put it on pie, you can put it on cake, you can put it on your strawberries, you just put it in your mouth, right? I love it. Get five cans. Wouldn't that be tragic? If you didn't have the... If in your brain you did not rightly value things, and then you left Walmart and you drove by Irwin Chevrolet, and they're 2018 Suburbans for sale, $4,999, and you're like, I'm not going to waste my money on that. Let's go back and get another can of whipped cream. See, that'd be devastating. Okay, but Jesus is saying, when you have the wrong treasure, guess what? You don't value things right. Let me show you this in Paul's writings. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. 17 years old, I lived that. I lived it. You know what I would have said about you guys sitting here listening to this? It's foolish. You know what I would have said about Drinking beer with my buddies at Scott City High School and dressing a certain way and acting a certain way so that all the folks in Scott City High School thought I was really cool, I would have said, valuable. That's dumber than buying $4,999 whipped cream. But I thought it. I thought it with all my heart. You know why? My eye was bad. I had the wrong treasure. Keep reading that verse. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him because he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. NSB says appraised. But the spiritual person judges all things but is himself judged by no one. Why? Because the next verse says he has the mind of Christ. 
Folks, whatever your treasure is has your heart. Whatever has your heart, it's going to make you look at the world a certain way. You know what? When Jesus is your treasure, you know what happens? You see the world differently. You do. Have you noticed that? Some of you have been converted. You, you know that, right? Like you think back to a time where you walked by a homeless person, and what'd you think? Maybe nothing, right? Or get a job, dude, right? Or something like that. But now all of a sudden you think opportunity. Hey, that person needs the gospel. Hey, that I wonder if I, I wonder if I could be used of God there. You see the world differently, right? You, you used to see your neighbor and he just irritated you. Now, now you see him as someone God loves and who needs the gospel. You see the world. You see what happened? Your treasure changed. Your treasure changed. Your heart changed. Well, you see the world changed. And then the last piece, what you served changed, right? Because here's what verse 24 says. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God in money. It's one or the other. One or the other is going to be your treasure. And whatever's your treasure, you're going to serve it. You're going to serve. You don't have a choice. You will serve it. If money is your treasure, you'll serve it. You, you will make your decisions. You'll make your priorities. You'll make your schedule. You'll make your values. You, you'll live your life in a way that serves that goal. Or if Jesus is your treasure, same thing. You'll make your priorities. You'll live your life. You'll set your schedule. You'll have your values. You will live your life in a way that shows he's your treasure. Let me close with a couple verses. Matthew 13, 44 says this. It says there's a man and he's walking through a field and he stumbles upon a treasure. And that treasure is beyond his wildest imagination. And so in joy, he covers it up and he goes back and he sells all that he has to buy that field. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. And then 1 Peter, verse 1, 3, and 4, talks about being born again to a living hope. And then in verse 4 it says that we are born again to a hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That, that is what God has in store for you. An inheritance that will never perish, that cannot be defiled, and is unfading. Man, I want you to have that treasure. I want you to have it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please, God, help us to live for the treasure that will not perish, that will not fade, that will not decay, that will not be stolen or ruined or taken or perish. But God, help us, Father, to invest our lives very practically and very strategically and things that will bring joy now and that will increase and magnify all the way into the billions of years of eternity. God, give us that kind of heart. Give us a heart that treasures the right things, that loves the right things. Father, I ask it in Christ's name.